Kettle Black burst onto the Manchester hospitality scene in 2014 with its first Australian-inspired coffee shop in Barton Arcade. They've since expanded across the city, launched a bakehouse and have a number of other exciting plans for the future. All the while, founders John Wilkin and Mark Flanagan have continued to play rugby at the top of the professional game. I'm delighted that John and Mark agreed to share their story with us today and talk about the role of position in their success. This conversation is part of our position project, an ongoing exploration into the power of brand positions and the stories behind them. I'm your host and strategy partner at Squad, Rob Gray. So thanks for uh, chatting with us today. I think a good place to start given your previous careers, which aren't necessarily what you'd expect for a hospitality business be a good place to start by talking about your rugby careers and, and how you got into rugby and the careers you had following there. So perhaps you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, I think for, for me, um, like I grew up in a rural village outside of Hull. Um, for people who haven't been to Hull, um, there's not an awful lot going on there. So rugby was one of the main sports in the city. So my father took me to play rugby. Uh, that was it, really. I was never hugely obsessed with it uh, but became good at it and as with anything that positive reinforcement of people telling you that you're good at something you end up doing it more and, and eventually turned into a career I ended up playing you know at St Helens for 16 years played for my country a bit and traveled the world a bit um, and have recently retired. Me I, um, I grew up in Oldham so not too far from Manchester my dad played he, he was professional and, and was pretty good he was a bit of a hometown hero all my cousins and uncles played, so I was brought up around playing and watching matches on telly or in stands. And from a young age, I used to obviously, like most kids, want to be like the dad. He was my hero and wanted to emulate him. I was lucky enough to go and play in Australia for a couple of years and uh, lived in Sydney. And then on, on returning from, from Sydney, uh, joined uh, John's team and uh, became pretty good friends with John. And Can you remember meeting? What was what, we actually, what brought you together? We actually, Can we tell the story? No, we one? actually met at Halifax. Yeah, we did. Actually. So Mark was uh, a younger man and he was on loan for a team uh, called Halifax Blue Sox, I think it was at the time. Or, um, and I was an ambassador for the co-op um, and I went to the game to award the man of the match and uh, up walked this, you know, six foot two, three, handsome sort of young kid full of confidence who just won man of the match. Uh, and it probably took another six to eight years for me to meet him again. And that's when he walked into the dressing room at, at, at St. Helens. So, yeah, well, the first time we met was actually at Halifax, but then we, we went on to play together at, at St. Helens. For in, a, in, a t in a rugby league dressing room, there's a lot of personalities and a lot of um, similarities and differences. And probably John and I found that we were more similar than most. I think yeah, yeah. We, um, we kind of bonded over having a beer and a nice um, plate of food. You know, and that's what kind of developed our friendship also. Uh, what spawned what is now Pot Kettle Black as well, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Passion for, for food and drink was probably drove us together. In, in a changing room full of Tetley beer drinking, you know, pie and peas, chicken and chips, I was crying out for somebody in my life who appreciated nice food. And, and uh, in walked Mark with his, you know, this, uh, you know, good dress sense, and he wanted to go out and do nice things, and it was a, it was a breath of fresh air for me. So, I think we spent a couple of years just just eating and drinking and, and doing things that good friends do, and it 
it was something that I had lacking in my life for, for sure. So uh, yeah, we certainly bonded over over food and drink, but but rugby primarily was was our job. You know, that's how we made money, and, and we're very fortunate to have the background of of playing rugby to allow us to explore our ideas and what we were passionate about. I actually think there's not many people in life get that opportunity. So I think I'm really thankful that my initial career gave me the opportunity to explore actually what I'm passionate about, which sounds weird because usually hear sports people talk about this deep sort of passion for what they do. Like I, I really enjoyed what I did. I, I loved rugby league um, for the people and for the experiences. But the only reason I started to play team sport was for the social element and to be around people and, and to compete. Um, and that career gave me and Mark the opportunity to, to push an idea through. And it's not lost on us how lucky we are to do that. And looking back over your careers, what have you learned from rugby that you're now taking into PKB? I think I took, I took a lot of things from rugby. Essentially, the dynamics of a group. Life is about people and groups of people, the coordination of groups of people about the morale of a group of people, about engendering like a spirit to compete amongst people and getting a coalition of people around you who are actually like-minded. And that's a sports team, right? But that's a business and that's, you know, your family. It's that, that's like anything in life. When you play a sport as well, throughout your career, you must play with a couple of hundred people and within a short space of time, you've got to be um, so close to them that you've got to give them your honest opinion, honest feedback on stuff, whether it's someone's missed a tackle or made a bad pass. Uh, and one thing I've learned is, you know, we, you've got to develop those relationships at a similar speed when you work together, but we can't be quite as direct as we would be on a rugby pitch. We, I can't have a go at someone for dropping a cup of coffee like I would do a ball in a match. So yeah. I've learned that, but and another thing I, I could probably say is like a resilience and a perseverance from sport. So whether you lose a big match or you get injured um, and you're out for a long period of time or you get dropped from the team, you need to get up back on your feet pretty quickly. And I think whether it's COVID hitting this year or you know uh, loss of trade or issues with you know customers or food or drink, you know if, if there's any any setbacks, I think in this world, I think being around that sporting sporting world has has, has led us to be a bit more resilient when faced with adversity. And I think that's, that's one thing I'll always you know, be grateful for. Yeah, I think another thing for me would be that, that almost like childlike, fearless nature that, you know, if you ever went back to when we were younger and you just said, you know, playing sport is risky and, and you know, you're unlikely to make a living out of it. And, you know, all of the inherent risk attached with, with a career in sport. When you, I look back at my younger self, I wouldn't have listened to that, despite the risks, pushing forward with something. We opened a coffee business in Manchester with no previous experience. Um, and, and if we can do that, like anything's possible for anybody. And you know, that's, as a kid, that's how I felt, you know, that, that in, I think infinite possibility is, is something that sport taught me that when you achieve, like, you know, walked out the tunnel at Wembley and there's 85,000 people watching you or, walking out and the national anthem being played when I played for my country, you know, to get to there from being a snotty-nosed pig farmer's son from Hull, anything's possible. And that fearless sort of mentality is, is something that I'll, you know, I'll take forward without You that. haven't lost that snotty nose either, have No, you? that's it. Actually, still, just still settles on your task. Still the son of a pig farmer, uh, still, still snotty nose. Yeah, yeah.
And in, in an elite rugby dressing room, you know, there's a lot of emphasis and time spent curating, developing that culture and that team spirit as you've talked about. What kind of techniques did you take from that that you've applied into this business? I think lead, whether you are a captain or or you just a pot, a pot washing in this situation or a waitress or a head chef, it doesn't matter what your role is, but I think don't wait for somebody else to do something. You lead by example. And you know, I remember when we first opened, we'd be washing pots or we were painting walls or we'd be taking the rubbish down. And like, that's, that's one thing you've got to do if you want people to buy into a culture or you want people to work for you. Sports become obsessed with that word, right? Culture. And like, what is culture? Do you know, what does that mean? And, and I've taken a lot of time, you know, in the later years of my career to understand what culture means. And, and culture is a collection of behaviours and, and encouraging the right behaviours. And, and so you asked me what I learned from what developing a culture in a sports team is. Well, it's finding the behaviours that you want, rewarding those behaviours and finding the people who behave in the way in which you like. That, that for me is culture. And whether you've got a business or you're in a sports team, Find those people who, who drive the behaviours that you want. The best teams are played in, the reason I, I know this is because when I started my career, I went into a horrible culture of a team that won everything. We won everything, but we were not built on a culture that had any substance. So I learned that, I think post-rationalised it to, to realise actually culture is behaviours and it's not necessarily linked to high performance. A good culture can perform slowly and build slowly, develop slowly. So an aggressive performance culture can be brash, it can be rude, it can be obnoxious, it, it can do anything to trample over people to be successful. The short-termism with that one, isn't it? For sure, yeah. And it's, it's successful, right? You know, it can be infinitely successful, but it's not sustainable. So if we go back to that time when you bonded over your love of food in, in a rugby team, um, Tell us about what, how the business came about. Well, prior to John and I um, playing t for the same team at St. Helens, I'd, I'd spent two years in, in Sydney. And um, I was lucky enough to play for one of the really good teams over there. And I used to remember, we'd train in the morning, and then in the afternoon, after, after we'd finished, we'd go to these cafes in, in the inner west of Sydney, and we'd have really good food, great coffee, great service. And it was, a, it was, it was such a nice experience to to not have to sit in a restaurant or a, stuff, or a stuffy bar or a boozy pub. There was just these places that were really inviting with, with, a, with a massive emphasis on health and really welcoming and warm. So I spent pretty much two years sat in these cafes in Sydney and um, came home, um, joined forces with John at St. Helens and um, I, I, we'd say, let's, let's get a coffee and then it'd be just Costas or Starbucks or high street chains that were pretty soulless. The product wasn't that great, the service wasn't that great. Um, and it kind of triggered something in my mind that there, there must be something better, there must be something similar to, to, um, to what I'd experienced in Australia. I know, yeah, but I mean, just going back from where Mark's left it there, I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, so my life's been about produce, about making things. My dad would, would grow vegetables, would, would, would rear, you know, poultry, would, would, you know, be intimately involved with produce. So my love of food and where it comes from has been like in my DNA, and that's, um, you know, something that, again, I'm thankful for. And you look, my guilty secret while I was at St. Helens was I'd drive up to Long Clume in the Lake District to have a two Michelin star lunch, you know, on my days off. And it was like my guilty secret 
you know, that you would never dare tell. I never tell, knew that. You would never dare tell anybody in the changing room. It's that all you, coming you went, out. You went somewhere and enjoyed a tasting menu or you enjoyed, you know, wine or these kinds of things were not things that were spoken about. So anyway, fast forward, Mark walks in, he's been in Sydney. Um, you know, he, he liked the things I liked and he took me down to London to visit workshop. And as a guy who's passionate about produce, I've never been more upset with myself than when I sat down and I had this Ethiopian single origin espresso, boom, drank it. And I was like, I was so upset with myself that I had no idea about the production of coffee because that my life had been about this understanding produce and where it comes from and like why it's good, you know? And um, I had this espresso in workshop and just blew my mind that there's this nuance of flavor that these people, art, artisanal like roasters of coffee were in this pursuit of natural like flavor from the coffee. Your, your time in Australia, what do you remember about the kind of specifics of things that inspired you there that you thought, you know, that, that's what I want to do within the world of food, which is massive. That's the thing I want well, to do. First of all, coffee, we, we started off just as a coffee business and it was the coffee that really, you know, that got me enticed with this, with this business was, you know, it was, it was, you know, the flat white, the piccolo, the smaller coffee drinks, um, not much milk. And it was always like a light to medium roast, which is, is how our beans are, are roasted. Uh, and I could just, you could just taste the nuances in, in the flavour. It wasn't, there was no syrups, there was no sugars. It wasn't too milky, it wasn't too hot. It was just as I like it now. So the coffee was great. Uh, I used to go to um, a place uh, in a district called Five Dock near where we train and like every day I'd go and I know all the waitresses, all the waiters, all the, the baristas and it'd be just like similar to Cheers, the old show where everyone knew your name. It was, it was, it was quite nice being a lot of the other side of the world having this coffee shop where you know I'd, I'd built a friendship. So that those two keys were the main thing is the really good coffee and then you know that that sense of community around the, the coffee shop. And that, that's one thing I think for me, I, I traveled uh, to Australia, went on sort of three tours of Australia for different times in my life. And that warmth to, to, to what we wanted to do, you know, I knew that was there. And, and one thing I found with hipsters of absolutely hijacked everything that's cool and, and take things that are cool and make it on the verge of, I'd say, snobbery about it. He came back and knew not a lot about coffee, but, you know, wanted to understand it. And I didn't get any warmth from anyone that I didn't understand coffee. And when we first met here in Barton Arcades, you'd been running a few years, um, and we started a conversation about your position and branding. What prompted you at that point to want to have a conversation? Well, I, I think, look, we, we had this passion and we had this intensity about what we were passionate about, but the definition of passion is unstructured. It is unstructured. It's, it's, passion is volatile. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's a collection of a million experiences that's like congealed into one thing that when you then try and articulate that to anybody, why are you passionate about something? Like, why are you passionate about rugby? Well, it's not a sentence. I, I could never articulate that. So I think one thing we realised is the ability to condense and succinctly put in understandable terms why we were passionate about our business became more and more relevant as we looked at scaling the business. You know, I think empathy is a big thing in, in life, but 
as much as you might try, you have never been in my shoes. You've not eaten the food I've eaten. You've not seen the places I've seen. You've not been in the Western suburbs of Sydney or, you know, having brunch like Mark has. And, and we had all these ideas and then we needed to condense that down into something that was succinct and understandable to, to people. And, and what blew me away when we worked with Squad was the ability to translate some of the nuggets that you had quickly worked out were really important to us and put it into a story that reflected the way me and Mark saw the world in our business. And that, for me, was incredible. Like, it was a, the moment which we, we read through the story, you know, it was an emotional, like, moment, you know, it was that good. And um, I think looking back, that, I mean, our business was going well, we were doing okay. But since, since we got clarity and vision about the narrative of which we'd follow, our business has flown and we've expanded off the back of that narrative that was created for us at that time. And uh, I couldn't really emphasize how, how important it was. You know, and as soon as I read this, with this story, I think we explored at the time what the perception of cool was and things can become too cool and achingly cool. Did we want to be cool? And then as opposed to being cool, should we be warm? And then we went from warm to sunny and then we went from sunny food, sunny drinks, sunny people. And then that's where we get to this Antipodean coffee culture with a Northern accent, which has been rippled through every single thing that we've done since. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it's been so good for us because we kind of we know what we are, and we know the direction we're going in. And we sit here being socially distanced in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. How's that impacting you at the moment, and how are you managing to deal with it? Yeah, you only find out you're swimming naked when the tide goes out. So, uh, High Street blamed Amazon for, you know, for decimating the High Street. Well, all Amazon did was find out poor quality retailers and took them out of the market. The great retailers are still out there. And that's like food and drink. These, I'd say, chains that have lost over time their narrative and the story. And as soon as COVID hit, boom, gone. And I think us having a strong story has allowed us to, 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 to do well throughout the, the virus. Well, I think we want to develop um, the fact that we bake. Uh, I think it's unique. Uh, we've got some great uh, guys that, that work our bakehouse who one in particular, Mark Wegner, is like a crazy professor. He, he, once every couple of weeks, he'll come up with a new idea that's sometimes really off the wall and sometimes it's absolutely amazing. And we want to develop those ideas and bring something new to the high street. And um, some great places in London and around the world that we, we've followed and um, taken inspiration from, but we want some, something that's us, but it, it, it pushes the boundaries of, you know, great bread, great croissants whether we stuff them or have them as they are, whether we put things on top or inside, whether we do pies or sausage rolls or whatever it is, but having really good baked goods and pastries that you know beats everything else on the high street is something that we're looking to do in, in 2021 when you know, life's a bit more normal. Yeah, now our head baker is, is story mirrors maybe like PKB and, and to some, some extent, you know, we say we're inspired by Australian cafe culture. Well, well Mark grew up in Alsace and his, his, his roots are in Paris, France, which is home of some of the best patisserie in, in the world. It's renowned for it, but he's been brought up in Didbury. You know, he's, he's, he is the, he's the, if we're talking about the Australian coffee culture with a, a Northern accent, well, I think uh, Mark might be French, 
patisserie culture with a northern accent you know that's his thing he's he's a highly cynical you know semi you know crazy baker who has really traditional roots but that's where we come i think the concept that we've come up with which is called half dozen other would be it's the same as a, a bakery but different and a traditional yet reimagined take on a bakery is what we're going for. Yeah, it was during lockdown though, yeah, like John alluded to, that we kind of first saw the, the potential of it and we realised that people were, you know, weren't getting out of the house or they were struggling to buy the key essentials. So we opened the shutter in, in the industrial estate where the bakehouse lives and, and started selling bread and, um, and like these crazy croissants and, and different takes on, you know, um, traditional um, patisserie and and before we knew it we had a 20 to 30 meter queue on a Saturday morning waiting for the doors to open and we kind of thought there's something in this. Yeah and I think with the virus right we, we all spend our life on these like train tracks and I think the opportunity of the virus is to just press pause on the tra you know the journey that you're on on these tracks and then wait for life to restart or you just get off the tracks like just go somewhere else because I think there's a real danger in life people are just pressing they're sat on the train waiting for it to get moving again and I think like we've just got to just explore other opportunities and it might come to nothing but what's the worst that happens you still you can go back to the train that's parked up on the tracks you know so I think it's given us a real chance to innovate and given our brand chance to flex and mould into something new and I think that's where being nimble is important for, for brands and so just to wrap up, what does the position we've developed for you guys, what's that going to mean for your future? Yeah, recruitment's massive. Um, in hospitality, it probably more so than any other industry is, is the people that work for you. And if I want to order something, whether it's in a restaurant or a bar, if someone's got warmth and personality, I'm, I'm one over like that. I don't care if there's issues and if, you know, my food's late or my drink's wrong. If that person that's serving me is is apologetic, is, uh, has, shows empathy, uh, and has some personality, and you can, you can have a little bond with that person. You know, we're in a really fast-paced industry, and on a weekend, you know, this is full. The checks are going th out th through the, the coffee machine and, and through the kitchen so quickly. There's, there's issues all the time, and having people that you trust who are serving and working the hardest, it, it, it's key to the business. I, th I think that's massive that, you know, we've got warm people that are sunny, that you know that, that buy into all the values that that, that John and I have, have have grown and instilled in the business and have pretty much showcased in that piece that you did for us. Yeah, and, and what you're looking for there is, is is a coalition of the willing. You know, people who are willing and contribute towards you know what you want to achieve. And, and we know what we are. We know the direction we're going in, and we know what we're looking for. Whether it's staff members, we don't want a staff member that's cool. We want a staff member to recruit that's warm and sunny. We, we don't want a dull dish, we want a bright dish that's got flavour and bright colours and it's really inviting and jumps off the page whether it's in a newspaper or on someone's iPhone. And In a people industry having you know, sunny people who want to grow our business has been the reason that things accelerated. Not only that, look we've pulled apart the story that you wrote and taken elements of it the combination of northern wit and 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 you know this I say rivalry with Australia and you know numerous sayings that combine like that northern wit and Australia just to re-emphasise that that link that we're inspired by Australia. 
And I think, again, a language builds a story, a language is used by our staff, and, and you know, the language that we created is all born through that, that, that identity piece, what we did. I think, for me, I, I'm inspired by us developing our story, a narrative, and, and, and that probably solidifying a position that we can move forward. I think now we've got that solid base, we can use that as a point at which to iterate, to change, to manoeuvre subtly this, this solid base that we've got. And I think that's exciting going forward into, into new, new projects and we've, we've got some, some new projects coming live in the new year to get stuck into. I think you don't know where you're going until you know what you are. And I think, you know, working with you guys, we, we know what we are. People don't buy what you do, they, they buy why you do it, you know, and, and, and that is ultimately it.